everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. Amen. Have I got a word for you today? Oh, I, you know, some Sundays you're just like, I can't wait to share what God has for us today in Romans chapter 8. If you want to find that, we'll be there in just a minute. Uh, but first, bonjour tout le monde, voici la question. What's the question? Here it is. So are you ready to study God's Word today? Amen. Now, we are starting a brand new series today for the summer called Recharge. And today... We're going to talk about how to recharge your hope. I don't know if, if you agree with this sentiment, but I'm guessing that you will. That over the last two or three years, it seems like people are less hope-filled. With, with uh, discouragement and, and uh, lacking confidence in government, in medicine, uh, with, with wars and rumors of wars, with raising uh, gas prices and skyrocketing home prices and the lowering of the stock market and record inflation. And on top of that, the ways that people have treated each other these last few years with division and harsh words, instead of hard times bringing people together, it seems to have driven people further apart. But today, we're going to talk about what makes Christians different. And here's the title for today. Today's title is Why Christians Are the Most Positive People, and If They're Not, Why They Should Be. No, no, don't give them away. Take that slide back. Hurry, that, was, I, there, that was my surprise. <laughs> See, here's, here's the surprise. I'm going to make a strong statement, and some of you already read it because you're quick readers. I'm going, to, I'm going to make a strong, power-packed statement that I want to just like, I want it to drop like a bomb. Are you ready? Okay, now we can show it. A pessimistic Christian is actually an insult to God. A pessimistic Christian is an insult to God. And we're going to see why here in Romans chapter 8. Are you ready? Let's start uh, reading verse 1 out loud together. Everybody here in the room, everybody online with us, remember there's power in the spoken word, especially when we speak the word of God. And so let's everybody read this out loud together. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice those two little words that are highlighted there, in Christ. Now the Apostle Paul who, who wrote these words here in Romans 8, this was his favorite term for Christians, that we are in Christ. In fact, in the, the Bible it doesn't use the word Christian all that often, but but. The, the phrase in Christ shows up 
more than 93 times in the New Testament. And for those who are in Christ, there are seven power-packed truths that we're going to look at today in Romans chapter 8. There are 39 verses in Romans 8, and we're not going to read every single verse, but we're going to kind of hit the high points and, and pull out these seven ideas. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Number one, in Christ, I am no longer condemned. We just read that in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no, everybody shout no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 3, 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came to set you free from the condemnation of your past. In 1997, Tracy and I went on our very first trip ever leading a group to Israel back in 1997. And we've been going back ever since leading groups. And, and that first one, though, is memorable for a few reasons. Obviously, number one, because it was our first time ever being there in person. But number two, it was because when we went, Tracy went with me to Israel and she was eight months pregnant. Our first child was almost born in Jerusalem. <laughs> in fact, we packed in our suitcase baby clothes just in case. Fortunately, she didn't look as far along as she actually was, or I don't think uh, the Israeli airline would have let her on board. Uh, but but I love being able to show people the Bible lands and how Scripture comes alive. And yet, I have to admit that there is one place in Jerusalem that I really do not like. It's called the Church of the Flagellation. Now, what does that word flagellation mean? It refers to flogging someone with a whip, right? A beating and so the church of the flagellation is a place in Jerusalem that was built to commemorate the flogging and the beating of Jesus. But listen, the church of the flagellation is not just a place in Jerusalem. I know a lot of churches like that today, right? Where they just week after week, they just beat on you. A lot of people don't feel like they've been to church unless they've been hollered at. Oh, pastor, that's just the best teaching I've ever heard. It just made me feel so bad. And listen, yes, we need to feel bad about our sin so that we confess and receive forgiveness and freedom from Jesus. That's called repentance. But when we turn it over to Jesus, once we do that, we are no longer condemned. Jesus wants to set you free from the pain of your past. Now, that alone is enough just close our Bibles and go home refreshed and encouraged, yes? But we're not going to because there's more good stuff yet to come. In number two, in Christ, I am no longer controlled by sin. Remember we're in Romans 8. Let's pick up where we left off in verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free. Everybody say, set me free. Set me free. 
set me free from the law of sin and death. And so we're not just set free from our past, we're also empowered for our present. Yes, you will still have temptations. Yes, you will still have struggles. Yes, you may still be prone to certain habits, but listen, you no longer have to be controlled by them. Maybe you've been controlled by bitterness and a bad attitude. Maybe it's alcohol or, or smoking. Maybe it's food or your schedule. Maybe it's the drive to just have more and more stuff. Maybe, maybe it's, it's something that you've kept hidden and nobody else knows about it and you, you, you wrestle with it and you feel shame over it and it has control over you. Maybe it's pornography or, or something sexual. Let me ask you, what is it that is controlling you today? And maybe you say, well, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what, what's controlling me today. Guess what? I know. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I, I know what is controlling you. Are you ready? Here it is. Whatever you think about most. Because look in our passage here in Romans 8, verse 5. It continues, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so the question is here, what do you have your mind set on? What do you think about most? Because everybody is controlled by something. Everybody has their mind set on something. We're either controlled by God and, and, and under His power or we're controlled by the world and under its power. It's one way or the other. And the only way to be set free from the chains that bind us, to set free from the power of the world in our lives is to surrender it to Jesus. Only he can set us free. And next, number three, in Christ, my hope is secure. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Let's skip down to verse 18. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not com worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Future tense. Paul is saying, yes, I know my life looks like it's a mess right now, but God has something better for my tomorrow. Yes, I might be going through tough times and problems right now, but these are just temporary struggles because in the end, God has already won the victory for me. Look, look down at these next few verses. Paul points out two things that give us hope. Number one, verse 23 says, we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, what is this talking about? It's talking about heaven. In heaven, you get to trade in that old rickety, run-down, messed-up body that's causing you all kinds of problems in this world. It, it, it gets refreshed and recharged and renewed and made new. That is the reward of heaven. Somebody ought to say amen when you got no more aches and pains, no more pimps and zip and, and zits. And no, in, in heaven, all my hair is coming back. 
In heaven, there is no dieting. In heaven, I think broccoli tastes just like chocolate cake. Can I get an amen? That's some preaching right there. And number two, verse 26 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So not only do we have the future hope of heaven, we also have a present hope for now. God is here to help us in our weakness. In fact, Paul even goes on to say later, in his teaching out of his own life, he says, it's when I feel the weakest, that's when I begin to see the power of God most strongly working through me. Number four, in Christ, purpose can be found in problems. In other words, God never makes any mistakes. And even when you make mistakes in all of your mess-ups and problems, God can even use those and 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 work them into his plan and purpose for your life. All together, let's read verse 28. Here we go. Let's read this out loud together. Everybody online, everybody here, all together. Verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And all things God works for the good of those who love him. Now notice what this does not say. It does not say that all things are good. Because there are a lot of bad things in the world and in our lives. And it does not say that everything works out the way that we want them to. But look at what it does say. It says, and we know. We don't just hope. We don't just wish, we don't just exercise the power of positive thinking and imagine. It says, no, we know. We, we don't just manifest it through good intentions. We know. We have confidence that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And so what does all things include? Does that include losing your job? Does, does that include sickness and disease, uh, relationship problems, a miscarriage, the death of a loved one, financial crisis? Yes, all things. Now remember, it does not say that those things are good, and it does not say that those things are from God. But it does say that when the world brings those bad things against us, God has this amazing, miraculous ability to judo flip it, right? And what the world intended for our bad, God can use for your good. Let me give you an example. The first book of the New Testament is Matthew chapter 1, and in Matthew chapter 1, it gives the genealogy of Jesus, his hereditary lineup. It starts with Abraham and goes down to his mother, Mary. And in between, what's interesting is there are four women listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's because 
it, you take notice when you realize that, that in, in genealogies in the ancient world in the Middle East, they did not track your lineage through the mother. It was always through the father, through the men. But for some reason, in the lineage of Jesus, there are actually four women listed in Matthew chapter 1. Who are they? The first one is Tamar. Tamar, who had sex with her father-in-law and bore a child by it. Rahab, who was a prostitute. Ruth, a Moabite foreigner who had to beg for food and ended up marrying a Jew illegally. And Bathsheba, who was raped by King David. These four women in the genealogy of Jesus went through some horrible stuff. And yet God met them in the depth of it and brought healing and wholeness and blessed them. And they got to be part of the line from which Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is born into this world. Isn't it good to know that even when things turn bad, God can still use it for your good. Number five, in Christ, I have nothing to fear. Verse 31 asks, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, it doesn't matter who is against you when you know God is for you. I don't want you to miss it. Let me say it one more time. It doesn't matter who's against you when you know that God is for you. Fear is a devastating emotion. Uh, they say the psychologists have analyzed like 645 different types of fears. In fact, Jerry Seinfeld says that there was a survey showing the top fears of Americans. And do you know what people's number one fear was? Public speaking, <laughs> what I'm doing right now. Number one fear, public speaking. Number two, death. <laughs> Seinfeld said that means that at any given funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than have to deliver the eulogy. <laughs> Maybe you're afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe you're afraid of what's going to happen to your kids. Maybe you're afraid to step out and do what you believe God is calling you to do. Maybe you're afraid to invite that person to church. Here in Romans 8.37, it says, no, in all these things we are more than what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. Literally in the Greek, it's like this is saying, we are super conquerors. Listen, in this life, you will either be a victim or a victor. And we live today in a society full of victims. But those in Christ don't have to live that way. Stop seeing yourself as a victim and realize that in Christ we have the victory. Not because we're so special. Not because we're better than anybody else. But because of the power of Christ living in you. Number six, in Christ. Oh, come on. Let's just give some, some glory to God. We can do that. Number six, in Christ, God will meet all my needs. Verse 32 says, God, 
who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now, the grammar in that verse is kind of complicated, uh, a little hard to follow. In, in, when you look at it in context, though, what you see it saying is this. When God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to die on the cross to take the punishment for your sins, Jesus dying on the cross took care of the greatest problem in your life. Everything else is minor in comparison to your need for forgiveness from your sin. And so, think about it. If God loved you enough, it's saying, if God loved you enough to send his own son to die for you, don't you think he loves you enough to make sure there's food on the table when you step out in faith? If God loved you enough to have his own son die for you, don't you think he loves you enough to be there with you in the midst of this problem? Philippians 4.19 says, God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It may be emotional, it may be physical, it may be spiritual, it may be emotional, it may be social, but, but maybe you have a need that you feel like God is not meeting. Well, here are three questions to ponder. Number one, are you really in Christ? Are you trusting him to meet that need and doing things his way? Or are you trying to meet your needs the way the world says you're supposed to do it? So, so for example... I think Loanna talked about this earlier. Here's an example. A lot of times people will say, Joel, I have a financial need. Look at all these financial problems that I have. Why is God not fulfilling his promise to be my provider? And so there's a question. We ask, well, are you tithing 10% to God, putting God first in your finances? Well, no, of course not. I can't do that. I just told you, look at all my problems. I have to take care of all this first, and then I can be generous and help people in need and give to the mission. But, but we see the problem, right? We can do things God, God's way and trust in his promise, or we can do things according to the world's way and be exempt from God's promises. I, I don't know about you, but I'd rather live in the promise of God and trust his way a whole lot more than somehow I can figure it out on my own. And so are we fully in Christ, number one? And number two, is it really a need? Maybe this thing that I'm asking God for is not actually what's best for me. Maybe he knows what's best for me. Pat talked a few months ago about, uh, I think he quoted the Garth Brooks song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. You, do you remember that song from Garth Brooks? I think, wasn't it Garth Brooks? Thank God. You're looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, you're like, Joel, you lived in Alabama too long. We don't, uh, I, do you remember? And he's like, he, he runs into the lady who he used to date, and he, he prayed that God would, would give him this relationship with this woman that he had a crush on. And, and then the relationship falls apart, and he's upset that God doesn't give him what he wants. And, and then later on, after he's 
gone in another direction and God's blessed him in so many different ways. And he looks back and when he meets this woman again, it's like, oh Lord, thank you that you did not answer that prayer. <laughs> Have mercy. Thank you, Lord, you did not answer that prayer. How many times we look back and realize that if God had actually given us what we asked for in the way that we asked for it, it would not have been for our best. And number three is God saying, not yet. Maybe you need to trust his timing. Some of the prayers that are answered in scripture take decades. The promise to the Israelites was not fulfilled until 40 years in the desert. Sometimes God is saying, trust me, stay faithful, just wait, it's not time yet. And then remember this last one, number seven, in Christ, nothing can separate me from God. Romans 8 verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He's covering all the bases here, isn't he? Now skip down to verse 38 and 39 as it finishes up this chapter, 39 verses of Romans 8. As let's, let's give it a big finish. Here we go. We're going to read this together. I want you to, you're like, you've been saving your voice for the last 25 minutes. Now you're just going to let it all out as we read with conviction and passion. Here we go. Romans 8, 38 to 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, now notice something here. There is one condition. Read through this again and again, and you see that he covers every outside source that you might be afraid of in your life. But there's one condition. The condition is me. You see, if I, if I want to be with God, he has promised that there is absolutely nothing on this earth that can keep me away from him. If I want him, he is 100% available to me. And so it's all right here in Romans chapter 8. And here's what I want to ask you to do. This was just an introduction for now you to dive deeper into this passage for yourself. And so the assignment this week is this. Will you take some time this week to sit down and open your Bible to Romans chapter 8 and meditate on each and every one of these 39 verses and let God's word speak to you and minister to you. It covers all these seven things that we've talked about and more. Why Christians are the most positive, hope-filled people. And so as you go through these 39 verses, look for these points again. Number one, are you feeling condemned and ashamed? Verse one says that when you confess your sin and lean upon the Lord Jesus and receive his forgiveness, that you are no longer condemned. You are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are forgiven and made new in Christ. Number two, do you feel out of control? There's a, hint, a, a sin, a, a habit, a stronghold, something that has you bound and you haven't been able to get free from it. 
It's because you can't do it in your own strength. Only Christ has the power to break the chains and free you from the control of sin, the bondage of the world. Number three, maybe you need to be reminded of the hope of heaven, that he is here for you now, but there is also a future hope. And there are things that are never gonna make sense here in this world while you're still breathing on this planet. But when you are in the presence of Jesus, all of a sudden, things are gonna start to make sense. And maybe today you need to be reminded of the hope of heaven. Number four, maybe you're confused about some of the problems that you're going through. In verse 28, we see that God can take your mess and he can turn it into a masterpiece. There can be purpose even in the midst of your problems. Number five, maybe you're afraid today. Verse 31 says, if God is for you, who can be against you? His perfect love drives out fear. Number six, maybe you're worried that God is not meeting some of your needs. Spend time in verse 32. Verse 32, pray on it, meditate on it. See what God has to say to you today about his provision. And the main thing you'll see here in Romans 8 at the end is that the, the number one purpose of life is a relationship with God. And nothing can separate you from him. And so we're going to finish our time together today in communion, in some traditions called the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And so right now we invite the ushers to come forward as they bring the elements and we prepare our hearts today to receive the body and the shed blood of Christ. Now, here at Moncton Wesleyan, you don't have to be a member of the church. You, this doesn't even have to be your church family in order to participate in receiving communion today, but you do need to be a believer. And so if for whatever reason you feel like your heart's not ready to receive this today, uh, nobody's gonna think any, any worse of you. Nobody's gonna look at you funny if you just pass it on down the row and let it pass by you. But maybe today, this could be the very first time that you ever received this sacrament as you invite His grace into your, your life today. And so let's pray together and not only to bless these communion elements, but to prepare our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, for anyone here today who you're speaking to their heart, maybe it's for a Christian who maybe you've convicted of a sin or convicted of something that needs to be surrendered to you, that you've brought to light something of darkness in us that needs to be surrendered to you today. Maybe it's a fear that we need to surrender to you. Maybe it's something that you've been speaking to us specifically 
about today and we just want to surrender to you. We confess it. We give it to you. As we eat of the bread and drink of the cup today, may it seal our commitment. Holy Spirit, work in us. Administer your grace to our hearts. And then, Lord, for anybody here today who has never surrendered to Christ, Lord, we thank you so much for drawing them to us. We, we thank you for bringing them here, whether they walked into this room or whether they're with us online right now. If that's you and you feel that God is drawing you today and you realize that you need to be forgiven by Christ, it's really simple. Here's what you need to do. You confess your sin. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment of death that you deserved for your sin and receive his forgiveness and make a commitment to follow him. And if you're ready to do that right now, just right now in your heart, say, Heavenly Father, Lord, I confess. I confess my sinfulness, my selfishness, that I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried to live the world's way rather than your way. And I repent today. I give it to you. I lay myself before your throne. I lay my burdens at the cross. Come in and wash me clean. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Make me your child. And I receive your gift. I commit to follow you. Right now, just commit to follow him for the rest of my life. And so if you just prayed that prayer and surrendered yourself to God, two things. Number one, welcome to the family. <laughs> welcome to the family. And number two, this gets to be your birthday in Jesus celebration as we take communion together. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup as you administer your grace to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as they go ahead and hand them out, and we'll go ahead and release them to give them to you now, just hold them, on, uh, hold them in your hand if you would. Please don't take them yet. We're going to do it together in just a little bit. So go ahead and take a piece of bread and take a cup and then hand it on down the row. And uh, as you hold on to those, in just a few minutes, we're going to receive them together. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.